Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spain and Fitz podcast. No show tonight on regular terrestrial radio. We were bounced by NBA playoffs, but we couldn't leave you hanging. We still wanted to give you some good digital-only exclusive content, particularly around the WNBA playoffs. They start tonight. So uh, we wanted to bring in friend of the show, Ari Ivory, to break it down. Then we'll get into a little bit of other stuff at the tail end of the pod. Now, for those of you who don't know, two single elimination games to kick off the WNBA playoffs, that first round tonight. And then in that second round, it's single elimination again before it opens up after that. So high stakes, high stakes. Ari, always good to have you in. Everybody should follow her at Ari Ivory to get the latest WNBA news and insight. Uh, Let's just start with big picture stuff. Did the regular season in the Wubble end up kind of the way you expected before the season started? It's funny because starting out, well, first of all, hey, Sandra, you know, I like, hey, boo. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, coming into it, we had the expectations. We knew Seattle would be good. We knew that Cheryl Reeves can work for Magic, but nobody predicted them to be that high. The, ultimately, I would say the top eight is what everybody thought, but it was just a journey to get there. We saw Connecticut go through their woes before they got to the, to the highs. We saw Washington, the reigning champions, barely make playoffs. So these are things that are surprising us. But as far as as far as the top eight, I think it's pretty solid, and we we figured that would be the case. Any surprise with Vegas knocking in the number one seed? Honestly, I I have faith in that team. I, I knew after the the first game that they would be a a threat, a problem. Um, but there was at a, a point in the season where I was like, who's going to beat Seattle, right? Seattle was just so dominant. But you saw the Aces come together and have their chemistry right and build coaching abilities and just being able to maintain all those different personalities and talents come together at just the right time so that they have the right momentum going into um, the postseason. But they, they've been solid all season long, especially under the direction of Asia Wilson. She's just been performing to another level and, and carrying them the way they need to be carried. You have De'Erica Hamby, who, who just always c- contributes greatly to her team. You have Angel McCautry, who is like, what injury? You know, like <laughs> it's the depth of the Vegas is, is great to see and to see them notch that number one seed and prove everybody wrong is dope. Yeah, not to uh... – uh, to your point there, the Aces swept the regular season series with Seattle. Now, that doesn't mean you want to overlook the storm, but it is something to keep an eye on as you try to pick your favorites uh, in these playoffs. One thing I'll say about the WNBA playoffs and the single elimination is things can turn pretty quick, right? I'm looking at, say, mm-hmm. my team, the Chicago Sky. They roll in with the number six seed. They had some sort of roller coaster ups and downs this season, went on some good stretches, and then had a couple losses that they, they probably should have won. But throughout it all, Courtney Vandersloot has been an MVP-type player, uh, recorded the most assists in a single game, averaged a double-double, averaged 10 assists a game, which has never been done before. Uh, you look at the sky, and, and I, I see a team that if they hit it right could actually do some damage. What do you make uh, of their ability to, to make a run, especially with Diamond to Shields out for personal reasons? Yeah, like you said, they have such a strong point guard in Courtney Vandersloot, and she's, uh, you know, uh, accompanied by her wife, who they have amazing chemistry on and off the court, obviously. So but uh, <laughs> it's, they're so great. I mean, bagels all day. Then you have Kalia Cooper, uh, Kalia Copper, who has been just performing excellently. Their leading scorer. You have Cheyenne Parker, who keeps getting better. Um, they have been tr- trending downward, though, because of the injuries. And, and I'm so sad that I don't get to see a playoff diamond because I think that she mm. adds to the spark of the team so well. But the problem with them tonight playing Connecticut, they're going against 
Alyssa Thomas and Duana Bonner now. We always talk about playoff DT, but we don't necessarily consider the fact that playoff DB has been a part of Phoenix <laughs> in the past few years. And, and Phoenix hasn't lost a single elimination game, and Delana Bonner is a part of that too. So Connecticut has the benefit of that. Brian January, Alyssa Thomas, you know, Jasmine Thomas, Brianna Jones has been, you know, great in the post presence. And so it's going to be really, really intense between the first two, especially because Connecticut is on that upward trend. They had a rocky start, but they've been doing well um, mid-season to the end of season. I mean, they've lost a couple in the the end part of the season, but I just, they come together at just the right times. It seems like every single year, uh, they never really start strong, but they come together at the right time. So it's going to be interesting to see a team that went that far last year and see how they hold up on a single elimination. Ari, if we go through this process and I don't ask you a question about the LA Sparks, I think Cheney will actually kill me. So uh, give me give me the lowdown here. I mean, but what? I, no, see, like I want to be able to trash talk Cheney, and so if you could just give me some dirt somewhere that I could, like something I can say to her that's going to get under her skin a little bit about the Sparks, I'd be all in for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to do that because uh, oh. we're, we're never going we're never going to root against Candace Parker. That's what we're never going to do. <laughs> but there's there no are rules, that, Fitz. Uh, there are rules. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say the LA benefits from being that three seed. We overlook the importance of the three seed because we're like, there's no home court advantage, and you know they still have to face a single elimination. But they don't have to play Phoenix on Thursday, no matter what the outcome tonight. They don't have to play Phoenix, so that's that's a good sign for LA. And you see Candace coming back in a different mentality, different personality. The veteran leadership that she's had this season has been amazing. You see Taya Cooper, a, a rookie who's just stepped up to the plate. Brittany Sykes, who's just athletic as heck and great on the defensive end, and she just blocks everything in her path. You see Chelsea Gray doing Chelsea Gray things. So the Sparks are, are a pretty strong team. That's why they have the three seed. And you, Derek Fitcher. Derek Fisher has come around and, and created a great culture for them this year as opposed to what we saw last year. You know, they weren't necessarily understanding understanding each other, but now they've come together as a team. And I'm excited to see them. I'm, I'm so happy they don't have to play Phoenix because nobody wants to play DT in elimination. I promise you that. Yeah, and especially <laughs> interesting to see how the Sparks have figured things out after that controversy last year with Parker in, in the finals and, and, and everything else. You, you kind of, uh, semifinals that was, uh, you kind of wondered if they were going to work it out, and here they are, number three seed looking good. It's Spain and Fitz. Uh, we're talking to Ari Ivory, our uh, friend of the show, WNBA expert, a great follow on Twitter, at Ari Ivory. You mentioned the Mercury, and I have to ask, you look at a team and you're like, how can you have... Uh, Brianna Turner and Diana Taurasi and Skylar Diggins-Smith and Kia Vaughn and still end up, you know, being a five seed, not being one of the top couple teams in the league. How do you compare what you've seen from them to maybe what their ceiling might have been? You know, during the season they faced <laughs> some some movements, some roster changes because you have Brittany Griner who has exited the bubble. You have mm-hmm. Rhea Hartley who was such an integral part of the team having that tragic ending in her ACL injury. Um, so you're depending on players who haven't had to step up like that to, to step up in their absence. Like you have Shatori Walker-Kimber who has been, you know, has great spurts, but hasn't been the most consistent. But I mean, I'm excited to see her growth because I really do believe in her as a player. But Phoenix has struggled with keeping a consistent roster where, you know, DT, when she plays, she's great. But then when she's injured, she's out. So it's, it's, it's a matter of keeping that consistency, not getting injured. Honestly, with Phoenix, it's like 
just stay healthy, y'all. Just stay healthy. I mean, with the rest <laughs> of the team, just, just stay healthy. But Lord knows, like, Phoenix can't afford to, to lose another player like that. But they're going against the Mystics tonight, and Mystics are confusing to me because we, so confusing we this year. We didn't know what to expect from them coming in, right? And then they came and they blew us away the first four games, and then it just plummeted. And we're like, "What the heck happened?" But now they're on a they're back up. They're getting the momentum, and they they made their way into playoffs. I don't know how long that's going to hold, especially if, uh, with such a we uh, uh, an unpredictable team. <laughs> and you never know what you're getting on any given night. And that's that's not a great way to be going into an elimination game against Phoenix. But I'm excited to see how Maisha Hines-Allen, who has been this buck, um, step up on behalf and, and do what she's been doing all season. Ari, I'm going to ask you sort of a, a strange question, but I want to give you a little bit of platform here because, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that the WNBA doesn't give it as much love sometimes as other leagues and, and, and as much love, frankly, as it should with the playoffs starting I think a lot of casual fans are going to tune in that may not have watched in a long time or, or at all. What's your message mm-hmm. to people that are watching the WNBA that don't watch all the time that are going to tune in tonight? What do they, what, what do you want to make sure that they see? Well, I want, I want them to not even compare the games. I know we always say, Oh, women's basketball is fundamental. No, just watch with a non-biased lens. Just watch and see the energy from the players. I, I say energy with four wise a lot. And I, and I mean that they, they come with, this extra fire and because of the playoff format every game is stressful every game is tense you're going to be on the edge of your seat because this is like do or die for these teams so that's the difference between like if you have a casual fan coming from the nba side they have series the whole time that's not the case for the WNBA. so for today and thursday it's literally do or day do or die so they're going to be playing do or die um just the WNBA is so important in general because it's representation of like women in the most elite level of basketball. So just just tune in, be excited, know that like they've been in this, this bubble for, for 22 games straight. They're playing halfway broken, you know, <laughs> but they're still going to be playing with the intensity that's unmatched. And just to get excited about it, get excited about women being in this, this space, women showcasing this great amount of talent, and just be happy for them. It's Ari Ivory, our WNBA go-to. We got to let you go, but I'm not going to let you out without making a pick. I know that, like me, there are more people in this league probably that you feel like an an affinity towards and you don't want to pick against. I mean, God knows I love Sue Bird, and and thank goodness Mm -hmm. Deladon's not out there this year or else I would be torn again between the sky and Sue and Deladon and all the other Mm -hmm, players that mm -hmm. I love. My girl, Laisha Clarendon, I don't want her team to be out of it, but it makes things a little easier for me. So for you... (laughs) Try to get all those people, uh, those affiliations with all the players and teams out and just give us your unbiased uh, pick on who, which, uh, we'll just go which two teams are going to be in the finals. It's going to be Aces in Seattle. Okay. I think it's either, either Seattle and Aces or Seattle and the Sparks, but I think Seattle has the edge just because um, their depth and they, they know how to make a run in the playoffs. The Aces are just now... Um, Forming their identity in postseason, you know they made it last year, and the Erica had that exciting shot, and you know they they had that type of run. But um, Seattle is equipped to win; they know how to win. It's not necessarily a new team either, so it's just the returning that that 2018 championship squad. I love it. Hey, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Enjoy the games. Love y'all. Bye. See thanks so much for hanging. <laughs>
Awesome stuff from Ari. Um, I am selfishly pumped for no show tonight because I will be watching my Chicago Sky in that opening round, uh, crossing my fingers. And like I said, though, Fitz, that is a tough one for me because I think there's this feeling of connection to a lot of the players I don't have in other sports. So I'm like constantly torn on who I'm rooting for during every game based on friendships I've made at you know ESPNW summits or conferences or other things. You know, the funny thing is when you mentioned the friendship, I think it, it really hits home because, you know, as much as I joked about Cheney in the interview, for me, I've, I've always sort of been a casual, okay, the WNBA is fine. You watch a little of it. And it's like, that, that's good. I like it. And then I got to know Cheney. And as that happened, I, I really found myself watching more and more of it. And when you have that personal investment in it to people that love the sport so much, it, it just changes the way you watch it. And you're absolutely right about it. I think that's one of the appealing things though when she was talking about the fact that this is single elimination when Ari was mm-hmm. talking about that and and the fact that there's this level of intensity it's the intensity that really sort of I think is the undersold portion of the WNBA the way that everybody comes at it and just the amount they bring to it that I think makes it incredible to watch I mean the, the fire when they're playing is just unbelievable so that I mean that's why I think this is sort of must watch TV because you get the NBA playoffs combined with March Madness on women's sport all at once season on the line right I I contributed to this book that uh, I think is coming out next week or maybe this week called the little book of life skills and the author was really cool she interviewed all sorts of people about a a ton of different things all disparate skills or things that you would want to know a little bit about and so I was in charge of sports basically and that's exactly what I said I said if you don't have a connection Find out what the stakes are. Find out a couple of the stories of the people that are involved and go into it having that little bit of knowledge. It's going to make it so much more fun to watch. So I always urge people with the WNBA, and I like how you asked Ari about that, just find out a couple things. Were they on the opposing team the year before? Is this one of their last seasons? Have they never won a title? And then, of course, with these first rounds where it's single elimination, you know what the stakes are. They are, get out of here. You're out of the wobble, and you're out of your season's over if you lose. So... Um, I, I liked that exercise of kind of going through what are some of the skills involved with being a sports fan because it reminded me uh, how we get into some of the stuff like curling or the Olympic sports where all we need is a little nudge and we're like 100% sweating so into something that we've never cared about before. Um, hey, speaking of something I care a lot about that I don't need any nudges on that's kind of freaking me out, Fitz, I'd like to take this moment to ask if you've been keeping up with today's drama surrounding Chicago Bears wide receiver Allen Robinson, who not only took away all mentions of the Bears from his Twitter and Instagram accounts, uh, but also apparently has asked for a trade. Uh, okay, so I saw that, and my first thought was, what in the hell? Like, it's that moment what? where you look at it and think, how, how, how's that possible when we're coming into one week into the season? <laughs> what happened that this didn't happen during all the off time? It happens uh. after one game. Yeah, well, so there's been a lot of talk about a possible extension for him. He's in the final year of a three-year, $42 million contract. The Bears have been able to get those deals done with deals done with top players before the start of their contract year. And for whatever reason, Ryan Pace and Allen Robinson and his team have not been able to come to terms. Ryan Pace said last week, the, the GM for the Bears, that he wasn't opposed to continuing to work on it mid-season. It wasn't one of those, okay, let's pick this back up when we're done. Um, And so it's kind of hanging over things to the point where teammates are now posting hashtag extend AR. This fan, and if you want to check it out on my Twitter, at Sarah Spain, put together this video, you know, for a dollar a day, you can help Allen Robinson find a team (laughs) with a good quarterback. It's really well done. It's very funny, except for the montage of terrible throws his way, because it's really depressing, Fitz. And, like, sometimes we don't think about these things. Yeah, he's making a lot of money. 
Yeah, he's in a good position compared to someone digging ditches. I don't know why we always use ditch digging. It could be a good job. I don't know. We always just go to that. But if you are an elite athlete, one of the best in the league, and you're the kind of receiver that people believe Allen Robinson can be, and you keep ending up with Bortles and Trubisky, and you're you know you're out there full sprint, giving it your all, putting your body on the line, and the passes are sailing over your head or underthrown, it's got to be so frustrating. Yeah, I can't imagine what that moment is like when you feel like you're being judged based on your production, but you're not really being given the opportunity to produce at the level you know you can. And when you talk about teammates that are actually you know, tweeting in support and, and coming out in support of paying him, I think that there's more significance to that. And I'll go back to my time in Nashville when I had the chance at the time to talk to some of the players around the Titans. They would tell you if you were you know, sitting around that, uh, there were concerns about an organization that was unwilling to pay certain guys, and that sort of leaks its way into the, the locker room. Now, you pointed out the Bears haven't had a problem paying in the past, but it speaks to something that must be there that has to be fixed. And frankly, with all the concerns and distractions that already exist for most teams, I can't imagine trying to figure out how to deal with this distraction as well when you're talking about coming into the season. So they got to figure out a way to get it worked out. In, in theory, money works it out, right? Like that's got to be the easiest way. Just pay the man and suddenly he'll be back to following everybody and, you know, he'll change his, all of, uh, all of his emojis will be bears. Like everybody will be happy, but that's a right. big, that's a big leap to take. It's a lot to handle in the middle of a season, especially considering even though the bears got that thrilling win and you saw, you know, some signs of life in the fourth quarter with those three touchdowns from Trubisky. Nothing's really been solved in terms of question marks about exactly what this offense might be able to do, or even the defense for that matter, who didn't look particularly strong against the Lions. So adding on top of that, this question of Robinson, how is he feeling about putting his body on the line every week without a long-term deal in the books? Um, and what is what does it mean for the Bears if, if they're trying to look ahead and say, are we willing to franchise tag him? You know, Are we willing to just risk losing him? I, there's just... Again, like you said, there's enough going on already to not have on top of that players and teammates concerning themselves with what his contract situation looks like. I do hope it gets resolved because he has been the biggest focus for them, the most consistent and productive offensive player. And even when he's not getting the catches, he opens up coverage for others because the focus of the opposing team's defense needs to be on a guy that can get almost 100 receptions for almost 1,200 yards, even with a terrible offense and a middling quarterback last year. Um, it's just depressing. <laughs> I don't like to get those guys, especially with the rumors, not rumors, but the sort of jokes about Chicago is where wide receivers go to die, which is something that an actual <laughs> former wide receiver said about the Bears. Uh, I don't like to get a, t- a talent like him and then chase them away and not be willing to pay them and not have them be happy. So a little bit of a bummer on my week one buzz that I was, I was riding the week with, uh, which is too bad. Do you want a, like a, a, an exciting note? Uh, I'm going to go total. I'm going to cheer you up, Sarah. You, okay, want, you want something that's going to cheer you up? Ready. I'm going to give you one player that you and I are going to root for for the rest of the year. Are you ready for this? Okay. I know this is going to happen. Okay. Cam Johnston, the punter for the Eagles. Now, why would okay. we be rooting for the Eagles punter? He went to Twitter earlier today to tell everybody that this season for every punt he downs inside the 20-yard line, they down as a team. He'll cover the adoption fees for the Pennsylvania SPCA for dogs. So he's yes. going to announce the dogs he's covering okay, after Cameron. each game. So we are all in. This I knew you would be in on it. Cam Johnston, the punter for the Eagles, is now uh, on the list of Spain and Fitz favorites. 
covering those adoption fees for every punt they down inside the 20. I thought that was a little positivity. Uh, you did cheer me up, and uh, our producer, Stash, the, the clock is ticking now. Cam Johnston is a guest we would like on the show. We are always willing to have on supporters. of Last year, uh, um, who was it? Uh, Godwin, I think. Chris Godwin, who came on, who um, who talked about his dog, Charity. Yeah, Chris and, Godwin. Uh, yeah, so any, any do- friend of a dog is a friend of the show. Also, uh, Cameron Johnston, in case you were wondering, from Australia. And you know oh. we love having people with accents on the show. <laughs> Former Aussie Rules football player, in, 100% in. Aaron Baines? Uh, let's, let's get... Uh, yeah, we love William Aaron Hendricks. Baines. We love, yeah. All the accents, bring them on. Dogs and accents is really the tagline for our show. Spain and Fitz, dogs and accents uh, is, is the tagline. Uh, before we go, I wanted to quickly mention uh, there likely will be some news out of the Big Ten in Nebraska uh, coming tonight. We don't want to uh, jump the gun, though, so we'll probably talk about it on the show tomorrow if that indeed does happen. I saw another headline, though. Uh, LSU coach Ed Ogeron talking about how most of his team has coronavirus. He's not alone in this. Uh, We've seen stories in the last couple days about 75%, 80% of college football team having already tested positive and either mostly recovered or uh, currently in quarantine. Fitz, this bothers me a lot because of how many unknowns there are in still understanding the virus. It started out and our conversation very rightly so based on the information we had was how does this affect healthy people? What is the likelihood that they'll be hospitalized? What is the likelihood that they will die? How are young people, the kind of people that we're seeing in this situation handling this? Um, I think that conversation needs to evolve. The more studies that are done on what are quote unquote long haulers, people who had the virus early on, several months ago, technically are testing negative for it, but are experiencing long-term effects, fatigue, uh, limb numbness, uh, mobility issues, loss of taste or smell, headaches, GI problems, that myocarditis, heart condition, neurological issues, memory loss, all of these things that months after they are technically quote-unquote healthy, they can't shake. How this virus gets involved with our various organs and body parts is very much unknown. There are no long-term cases to study. There are only the people that had it a couple months ago that are now coming back and, and participating in trials, and they're finding that they haven't kicked all these symptoms. So we started out with what happens if someone gets it. Now we're at everybody gets it. I, I just I don't feel comfortable with that, not to mention we haven't even gotten into coaches and staff members that are not young, healthy bodies. Uh, it just feels so flippant to me for something we don't know very much about. Yeah, and I think that's the the hard part about it. And look, I know a lot of people listening are going to roll their eyes and decide that they've suddenly become doctors. I'm not willing to do it. And, you know, at some point, you think about how even in life, if a new car comes out or a brand new model of something comes out, how a lot of people will hesitate. They're like, oh, I'm going to let it get the kinks worked out first. But when it comes to a virus that could be killing people or could be killing people, I should say, for years, we have no idea what the long-term effects are. Everybody's like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. Like, suddenly we've, we've all become psychic. I don't understand how that works. And uh, concerning about Ed Orgeron's comments, particularly, is that the SEC hasn't started playing. I mean, I think this is a, a moment where the numbers should be demanded. I mean, if LSU, if he's telling you that most of the players have it uh, or have had it at some point, 
we should see those numbers because it's going to affect the SEC and their decision whether or not to play. I mean, think about if, if it is true that most of his players have had it and you're sitting over there and let's say that another school that they're about to face, let's say like in Alabama, that's not the case. Are you now comfortable playing them? I mean, those are the, the cans that have been opened by his comments. And with the SEC not having played yet, this is the moment that transparency is going to matter. And it will matter to the Big Ten conversation that we'll get more information about too. Like this is, there are so many variables that are bigger than football when this really, uh, when it comes down to it. And I realize that we're prioritizing football, but even if we're going to prioritize football, I don't need to have the data just thrown in my face sort of flippantly as we go through this. There's, there should be real care and caution taken to how he handles it, what he says, and what he tells us. And if he's going to open the door to information, the next question is for specifics. And that's something he should be required to give at this point. Yeah, and one of the quotes that he said kind of it confused me. So basically, SEC protocols say that players who have contracted COVID-19 don't have to be tested again for 90 days. So I presume that means you get it. Once you're negative, they presume that you're healthy to play. And since it is rare to reacquire the virus, they're allowing for 90 days where they presume you're not going to re-get it. All right, I kind of get that, even though it is possible to catch it again. We've seen that in the NFL, right? There's a couple players and in college who have been on the COVID uh, uh, IR kind of list twice now, which means they got it, they got better, and they got it again. But Ogeron said this, hopefully that once you catch it, you don't get it again. I'm not a doctor. Okay, so we already know that that's not true. Then he follows with, I think they have that 90-day window, so most of the players that have caught it, we do feel like they'll be eligible for games. The only way to read that as making any sense is for him to essentially be saying, because you don't have to be tested again for 90 days, we presume they'll be eligible throughout that, even if when they get tested 90 days later, they are testing positive again. Right? So basically... We'll be happy that they'll get to play through having the virus because they won't be tested again and find out they have it until 90 days later. Right. That's the only way to read that. Otherwise, that doesn't make any sense. Well, and and so then what are you doing? Are you just rooting for your whole team? I mean, are are we just going to send out like a little little like vial of of coronavirus and just ask the whole team to get it? So then they can just keep playing? What about the opponents? Right. Like if you if if you are going up against somebody I would like to believe they've just been tested, not that they had it at some point and now you're waiting 90 days to test them again, but they might have it again because your whole team seems to have it. Like these are, there's, there's just, again, I'm not a doctor or an expert. So as I'm trying to middle through this stuff, just like everyone else, I think I'm just coming from a place of caution. Well, others are coming from a place of, well, we don't know. So why would we criticize? And that to me is so scary. Fitz, throughout this, I think like a lot of other people, I've woken up with a sore throat and been like, oh, my gosh, do I have it? And then be like, oh, no, I drank three bottles of wine last night. Sometimes I get a scratchy throat. <laughs> um, or, or like, oh, I'm so tired. And I'll be like, okay, well, you did 75 minutes of power yoga and you didn't drink enough water, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my mind, are the things I'm feeling normal things that I would not be paying attention to? And am I thinking, am I worrying too much about having it? But there's a part of me that wonders, if at any point in the last seven months, have I had it and not been serious enough to know And now if I'm tired, is that because I had it and that's going to last for who knows how long, right? Is it possible that I have any of these issues? And and the people who do have those long-term, quote-unquote, long-hauler symptoms that haven't gone away for months, are we just exposing young people and and coaches and anybody else that's in these sporting events and and getting it to long-term issues? Like that, that's so sad and scary to me 
and and I and I want to be alarmist. I I don't want to be someone who is worried about the sports I'm enjoying being dangerous to people. But I would feel so guilty not at least mentioning some of these studies where they're saying these these cities in Italy are bringing everyone back and a third of them haven't recovered months later. Like, why aren't we talking about that? Why are we still stuck in the month one discussion of well, most he- uh, healthy young people don't die? I don't think that's where the conversation ends. And I, I think that there's a fair and, and reasonable way to, to talk about both sides of this here because, and I don't mean both sides of the virus. I mean, both sides of the way some of us feel in covering even college football. Like when I was on a digital show Saturday that I host for Trevor scales, you know, Trevor played for Harvard. He played, he was a running back, a very successful running back at Harvard. And he talked pretty openly about the fact that because he loves college football and because so much of his livelihoods made in college football, he wants college football to be played. But then he also turns that portion selfishly in his head off and just says, well, what about the kids that are playing? And that portion of him doesn't want college football to be played. And mm-hmm. I think the the problem for me is that so many people are worried about being on the side, everybody being on the side that they think makes the most sense on all of this, when realistically it's okay to say, hey, Humanly, I don't think these kids should be playing, but business-wise, I understand why it's important that they do, and I don't have the answers. Like I, I, I think that there, there needs to be more nuance in the conversation of what's going on, and if we are going to put kids at risk, then at least by opening out, openly admitting outwardly that we are putting them at that risk, maybe we'll handle that risk a little more responsibly as we try and figure out, is the risk worth it? Which is, to me, not a question you ask once. It's a question you ask every damn day because every day when you get new data, you have to decide again, is it worth putting that kid or that coach at risk for football? And and it's okay to me if their medical experts say that the answer is yes. I just think that you have to be evaluating the conversation every single day based on the data with with the acknowledgement that your own, not your, but our own personal bias at times may want to push people to play. We just have to keep pushing ourselves to make sure that we're getting honest answers. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I, you know, a lot of people, when I ask these questions on social, they say, well, I guess we just don't have lives for a while. We're like, I guess nobody should ever play sports for five years. And I'm like, that's not the only answer. I'm not even offering up that we should cancel things. I'm just asking us to have conversations that feel more appropriate to right now than seven months ago. Too many people seem to be having the same conversations and saying, well, most of these students are fine. I don't see any players not being able to play, which isn't true because several have had to sit out because of myocarditis or related things. But I just want to make sure we're advancing the conversation with all of the information we have as we're getting it. And that is very limited because of how short of a time this has been in existence. But it's really worth still bringing up every time so that, you know, we've got this in the back of our heads and we're having you know, realistic looks at what sports are bringing and doing in a positive way, but also the risks that they present. Um, So I I would be very interested to see what experts have to say about something like LSU having an entire team of people who who have tested positive. Uh, Fitz, I don't want to leave on, you know, a a bummer of a topic. You got any, you got any other players that are supporting dogs or anything to bring up? Uh, I don't have any other players that are supporting dogs, but I'll remind you that uh, both of our favorite football teams are one and oh. Woo. Now we just got (laughs) to keep our top receivers on the team. Oh, I did it again. Okay. Uh, Uh, We'll uh, talk to y'all tomorrow. Our show is back. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.